The reading this morning is from Luke chapter 19, the first 10 verses, and it's on page 1053 in the Bibles in the church. Zacchaeus the tax collector. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was. But because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began, began to mutter, he's gone to, the, to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. This is the word of the Lord. If you don't mind, I'm going to move the table. It's a bit like preaching on the Damascus Road just here, so uh, I can't see you all with the sun in my eyes, so I'm going to preach from here if that's okay. What a story. Most of you know it, I guess, don't you? Zacchaeus, familiar story, and uh, as long as we go home and sort out our attitude to money, everything's okay. Uh, which is why I ask that this title be Jesus and Money and Much More. Because I think there's so much more going on here than simply the issue of Zacchaeus and his greed uh, and the fact that he was a, a crook uh, and one or two other things that you could say about him. Just like the blind man on the way into um, Jericho that Jesus has healed, that man came to salvation. He came to know Jesus. And that seems to be, we were here, what, two weeks ago, wasn't it? We were looking at the prodigal. Uh, and we were looking at exactly the same idea, that Jesus comes to seek and save the lost. And that's right in the middle of this text as well. So there's much more. It's right at the end. And always look at the end of a story uh, to see the kind of Jesus punchline, if you like. And it says at the end that Jesus there said to seek and to save the lost. Now, that's what this story is about and it's much bigger than just his money. And therefore, if our attitude to money is right, we're not exempt from the message of Zacchaeus. It's got a lot more to say to us, I think, than that. Well, who was this man? Well, let's paint the picture first of all, shall we? Luke gives us all the detail we need to understand the story. He's a, a chief tax collector. So in that sense, if you'll excuse the pun, he's at the top of the tree of tax collecting. This guy was the business. Uh, he had lots of other tax collectors under him, uh, and they all took a cut. You, you took a cut at different levels. 
I must absolutely resist any temptation to make cheap cracks about tax today. But, but there we go. That's what they did. One tax collector would collect it, then the chief tax collector would take a cut from him. So that's why Luke says he is a wealthy man. Not surprising. He's taking cuts at almost every turn. And every, any self-respecting Jew would regard his wealth as dishonestly gained. He would be hated. He would be working essentially for the Romans and taking taxes from the people, and they were hated. Uh, the Romans just weren't loved at all. They, when they occupied a land, they were tolerated because they had to be. They were very vicious at dealing with any sort of upsurge of nationalism and that sort of thing. They dealt with it. So these guys were working for the oppressor. Now, it's interesting that he is a wealthy man, but also the crowd's reaction to his encounter caused a problem. How can a man who is so crooked have a meal? And that's a sign of true fellowship and identity with another person, with the good teacher. Uh, he's eating with sinners. Now, that cropped up again two weeks ago. This idea that you can look at another person and say, you're a sinner, as if you're not. And the Pharisees were very good at this. They, they considered themselves to be above that title, that they weren't sinners. Sinners were kind of people over there who, who weren't to be touched. Now, what you have to understand, too, is that it was not his riches that debarred him from the kingdom of heaven. The fact that he was rich is not the reason he's debarred. Go back to the previous chapter. Sue mentioned it just now. Uh, how hard it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus qualifies it three verses later in 1827. What is impossible with man is possible with God. So the rich thing is not the debarring that keeps Zacchaeus from the kingdom. Now one commentator describes, I love this, describes Zacchaeus as being a capitalist, a collaborator, a crook, and a notoriously bad lot. Well, if I had that put on my gravestone, it'd be great, wouldn't it? You know, that's what he was considered. But, 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 he is seeking Jesus. Now, being a short man, uh, I once took somebody to a football match once who is considerably shorter than me, and she didn't see a lot of the football match because she's about nine inches shorter than I am, and though spent most of her time seeing a very narrow segment of a football match that I was seeing all of it. And, and so you can't see, can you? It's a very simple point. And Zacchaeus is the man who is not someone you trust anyway. So who is this strange being wandering around behind the crowd? What's he up to? And just as Paul was not trusted immediately after his conversion, Zacchaeus would certainly not be trusted in any context. You see, I wonder if we have stereotypes. A sinner. Now, we would never say that, probably. We would never label someone like that. But we kind of have this thing that we like nice people to find Jesus and not necessarily people who are the outcasts and the, the, the people who are derided in society. We, we don't like that because they don't quite fit our cozy churchy pattern. And this, this is what we've got here. We've got a man who was way outside the sort of upper echelons of Jewish society. He was a collaborator and a crook. And therefore, he wasn't loved. He may have been a big cheat. But he was only a little fellow 
He was vertically challenged, however you want to put it. And I gather that some people like that, who are short on understanding of God, can be shut out of situations where they would find him. And Jesus sees him because he's shinned his way up a tree, a sycamore tree. Jesus looked up. Isn't that a brilliant line? You, mate, just pinned his eyes straight on Zacchaeus, and he got him. Jesus looked up. Can you imagine the kind of heart-pounding that would have experienced in that moment? I doubt if he was expecting personal contact. Wasn't Zacchaeus just going along, sort of thinking, oh, if I could just see this great teacher, maybe that would help me? Jesus is having none of it. Zacchaeus came down immediately, and Jesus says to him, I must, look at the word, I must stay at your house today. There's a lovely emphasis in the original on that. I am coming to your house, pal, whether you like it or not. That's what he's saying. I'm coming. I want to be in your house. I want to be in your life. And Zacchaeus clearly thought that was all right. You see, Jesus' ministry is to reclaim prodigals, to reclaim wanderers, to reclaim people that have made a mess of their lives, to make right people who humbly saw him and repented. That's what Jesus is in the business of. And Zacchaeus, verse 6, tells us, greets him gladly. Rather surprising if he didn't. I mean, if you was out there looking at the queen, and I have done this, I've told you this many times before, but I have stood right next to the queen on, well, one very close and two about three yards away when she drove past my school, and there she was. Now, what would I have done if she had said, Dave? I'd have said, get lost, go and talk to somebody else. No, of course you wouldn't. You'd say, what an honor, what a privilege. And that's Zacchaeus. He's just so delighted. No time to do any last-minute hoovering or, or dusting, you know. Uh, out of the tree, bit of a word, let's go home. You see, do we, again, try and make contact with Jesus a bit too tidy? He just says, I want to come to your house, Zacchaeus. I want to come where you are. I want to come into your life. I want to be part of your life. I want to be fully part of your life. I want to enter into the most intimate place in your life, the place where you live. I want to be there with you. And that's what he does. He's just started by getting a glimpse. And now he's sat next to the Son of God in his dining room. Yeah. Is that exciting? Can you show just signs of excitement around the church? Just here and there. Yeah, brilliant. I like it. Yeah, this is fantastic, isn't it? This guy's bombing around the crowd. Sort of like, Where's Jesus? Where's Jesus? Gets the look. Down you come. Good to see you, Zacchaeus. I'm coming for tea. There it is. Now, I think we... Forgive me if this is an old one I, I bellyache about all the time, but do, do we sometimes make contact with Jesus a bit too tidy you know don't, why don't we just say isn't it fantastic when a person comes to faith in Christ when they when they find Jesus as Lord and Savior and and, and there it is but that of course is exactly what the crowd did wasn't it mutter 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 it wasn't quite tidy 
Now, in one sense, the crowd are right. He's a shocker. He's, he's an absolute shocker. And the crowd have written him off, but Jesus didn't. The crowd have written him off. He's a sinner. Get over there. You're, you stink. You're horrible. Jesus says no. The very fact that Jesus ate with him, and if you want to trace this through the Gospels, eating, and not just the Gospels, but right the way through the Bible, you will find the the intimacy that, that meals have in, in terms of your relationship with another human being. We've lost that a bit, haven't we? Chuck it in the microwave, shove it down, off you go. But in those days, the intimacy of meal eating together was very, very big. And Zacchaeus expresses his newfound way of life, his acceptance of Jesus as Lord, and it changes his whole way of life. What does he do? Half of what he owns, he'll give to the poor. Is that a word for you, for me? What does it mean? It's there. It's not something you can shirk your way around. And then when you get to the second bit, those he's wronged, he will give four times. Now, there's a precedent for that. If you look back in Exodus 22.1, you'll find if a man steals an ox or a sheep, he must pay back five head of cattle for the ox and four for sheep. By giving 400% increase on what he's nicked from other people, he is admitting that he is a thief. I have been bent, Zacchaeus is saying, by making that 400% increase. This is really an offering from the heart of a changed man. And here are the two great commandments being worked out, aren't they? His love for God <clears throat> leads to his love for the neighbor that he's wronged. And he says, yeah, I, I have been that. I am, isn't repentance wonderful? Isn't it fantastic? When a guy like this, who has been in the public eye, and he's as bent as a corkscrew, suddenly comes to a place where he says, I got it wrong, but I'm going to put it right because of the God I've met. Not because I woke up one morning and think, I'm going to turn over a new leaf. No, it's because he met Jesus. And he said, that changes my whole value system. Do you see why this is so much more than about Jesus and money? It's Jesus and money and it's much more. It's any value, any activity, anything that you or I are doing that says that is not the way you follow Jesus. Oh, it may be money. It, it may be you're stashing it away, and we all do, don't we? We have. We have money that's there for us to use. We have things that perhaps we don't need. I don't know. I find this hugely challenging. I always remember when I read a book by a guy called Ronald Sider. Do you remember Sider? Uh, he was the guy that used to say things like... Um, why do we all need a lawnmower? Why do we all need a ladder? Why does every Christian own a ladder when if you have one ladder between 20, you don't use it more often, do you? And, and, you know, you look at it and you think, yeah, that's crazy. I need my ladder. I might have to go and mend a window or a gutter or something. But, but is God actually saying to us in this needy world, this world of poverty, this world of need, is he saying, come on, look at what you do. Look at your values in money, perhaps in terms of pride, in what you take pride in. The things that you value, perhaps more than you value your relationship with Jesus. That's why this is so much bigger 
Because Zacchaeus has realized that possessions for him aren't everything. Money was his God. And when we follow Jesus, everything that we have is under his control. That car that I drove in this morning, not mine, it's God's. That house that I'm deeply privileged to live in is God's house. Everything I own is God's. I am but a steward of all the good things that God has given me and blessed me with. And you may be sitting there thinking, well, he doesn't seem to have blessed me with too much, but whatever he has blessed you with is a gift from him. And it needs to be change of spectacles time as you look at everything you have with new values and say, that belongs to God, not me. And Zacchaeus' day is complete. And uh, salvation, Jesus says, has come to this house because this man is a son of Abraham. This man has been claimed. He was a lost child. He is truly, as Romans 4 and Galatians 3 talk about, this is where the Abraham bit comes from, a, a child of faith, someone who's come from that Abrahamic line of faith. He's now in it. He's been saved. And, and he's jumping about about it. He is absolutely jumping. So what does this teach us, just finally, a couple of th points to make out of this story. I, I think it, it says to me, a commitment to sinners. We don't look at people and call them sinners. We say, look, pal, you're just like me. A sinner saved by grace. My lovely vicar in Sheffield that I worked with um, had a lovely phrase in terms of preaching, what I do a little bit of around here. And he used to say, I am simply one beggar telling another beggar where to get bread. It's all I am. I'm nothing more than that. And we need to understand, my friends, that, that everything we have is of God. And therefore, when we look at other human beings, we look at them with prayerful love. And we don't label them as being outside the camp. Jesus longs to take initiatives in people's lives, and he uses us for some strange reason to make them happen. Well, could it be that this is going to be tough, but I'm going to say it. Could it be that we, the church, are like the crowd on that Jericho Road? We're the ones keeping people from finding Jesus. Because of our traditions, which are not biblical, because of our language, which is so in-house, because of the way we do things and the way we welcome people, and I'm as guilty of that as anybody. But what that crowd should have done was, Zacchaeus, you're a little fella, come through here, mate. If you want to see Jesus, let's clear the way. Do you know, that happened to me once. I've never forgotten this incident in my life, and it, it spoke to me when I was preparing this. When my lovely dad took me to a football match at a place called Charlton Athletic, you may remember that, it's in South London. It used to be an enormous ground. And he took me there one day. He hadn't thought out that if he arrived at the back of this crowd, I would not see a dicky bird, because I was a five-year-old about this, this high, somewhere around there. And what happened was all these blokes with cloth caps on. I mean, this is a long time ago. I'm not prepared to say the date, but it was. And, and, and all these blokes, he said, well, come through here, mate. Come through here. Come through here. And they all stood aside, and I walked right to the front of that massive stadium. It used to hold about 80,000 people. 
And there I was, right behind the goal. And in front of me was the England goalkeeper, Sam Bartram. I've never forgotten that. And all these guys just sort of went, it wouldn't happen at a football match today. Say, sort yourself out, pal. You know, but I got right to the front. Now, are we clearing the way so that those who are sinners, just like us, can see the man who can save sinners? What are we doing in our lives? What are the attitudes that we portray? What are the, the ways that we deal with those who are not saved? Because Jesus came to seek and save the lost. And therefore, we should be part of that. And, and sometimes we have these strange ideas that, you know, we don't associate with people like this and all that sort of thing. But um, I, I think it's so easily that we forget. Take yourself back to the day before you were a believer. Can you remember that, some of you? Some of you, it's quite recent. Before you became a Christian. And somebody held your hand and got you there and showed you Jesus. Somebody spoke to you and drew you to a place where you could see, what does this crowd do? You don't belong here, mate. So he had to shin up a tree to find the Savior. And it's so easy, I think, in these days to uh, judge our community and look at the state that we're in at the moment in, in the nation, and we look at that. Uh, and this is a community-level thing as well as an individual thing, isn't it? And do we fear what others will think in our community, that we're backsliding if we go out and look for lost people? To, as Star Trek said, to boldly go where no man has gone before. To seek and save the lost. Now, I'm very guilty of this as much as any of you, and I've told the St. Pancras Station story so many times around here, I don't tell it again, but I was on my way to an incredibly important Keswick meeting, Keswick Convention, you know. I was a trustee, my goodness. I was so, so important. This bloke got on the train at Leicester and he said, you're one of them, aren't you? I said, what do you mean, mate? What, you're one of them. He says, you're one of them, aren't you? And uh, he wouldn't rest, so I thought, right, I'm going to have to put down this two million spend of the Keswick Convention on, on another side and, and I'm going to have to listen to this guy. And from Leicester to London, about an hour, I talked with him. And the last thing I saw, and I was there only recently with my son, was the arch of St. Pancras Station, and he walked out into the light. And I've never seen him again. He wouldn't leave me his details. Now, that attitude at Leicester with me, important Christian, reading vital, important papers, was more important than listening to a bloke who said to me, you're one of them. And the only reason he could see it was on the back of the paper. It said Christian as part of the paper. And he spotted me. You see, faith transforms, doesn't it? True faith changes the way we see the world. And therefore, the thing that we should long for as a community, amongst all that we're going for, all these people that are standing up and I'm sure expressing views that they hold dearly, but sometimes posturing, let's be honest. Uh, the thing they need more than anything else, do we passionately believe it, is what Zacchaeus achieved that day and what he got. And that was Jesus. That's what they need. Faith transformed this man. It transformed the whole value system that he lived by.
Everything that he lived by was shot to, to bits. And he started doing whole of life in a different way. And I don't want to be prescriptive about that for you, but, but take a look and think, my attitude to other people, is it critical? Is it complaining? And is that the barrier that's keeping somebody from trusting Jesus? Could it be? And so we need to let the wonderful, wonderful light of the Son of God shine on our lives. And if we've hurt a loved one, we say sorry. If we've done a deal that we shouldn't have done, we give the guy a ring and say, you need your money back. And I finish with one more anecdotal story. This is going to sound a bit like name dropping, but I'm going to do it anyway. Josh McDowell was coming to us. Uh, he was with me at a conference or two, and we, we worked together a bit. And I was taking Josh to the station in Sheffield. And on the way down to the station, he, um, he wanted some money changing. He was going to get his flight that afternoon back to America. And he wanted to change his, his money and he went into Midland Bank, I think it was in those days, HSBC, not sure. Went in and he, he changed his money and he got to the station. He said, Dave, he said, they've done this wrong. They've given me far too much money. And we think what had happened is they changed the conversion rate around the other way and he, he, he got a huge amount of money. And we sat there, on the, honestly, outside Sheffield Midland Station, counting up the money that was in excess of what he should have had. And he said, Dave, take this back. Now, there's Zacchaeus. You see, I took it back. And the lady behind the counter, I, I absolutely swear to you this is true, her tears just flowed. She said, nobody has ever done that before in my history of banking. But you see, Josh had got it dead right. What he believed affected how he lived. It changed his value systems. My friends, we are new creations. We need constant renewal. We need the touch of Jesus. So allow Jesus to shine that searchlight into my life and into yours. And say, where are their values and behaviors and things that you do that do not reflect the magnificent, the beautiful, the gracious love of the Lord Jesus Christ. And let him change you. Let him get his hands on you. And let's have a tea party at our house with him. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that you looked up to that tree. Your son was passing by and he said, Zacchaeus, I want to be with you. And thank you that for many of us here this morning, you've, you've said that to us. I want to be with you. So Lord, give us a heart for those that, yes, are sinners just like us. Give us a true realization of what Jesus has done for us and allow him to shine the light of his worldview into our worldview. That it might be shaken and stirred and that we might more closely follow the Lord Jesus.
than maybe we do today. In his name we pray. Amen.